come from your desire for pleasure that war in your members. You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? But he gives us more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit, your, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who are you to judge another? Let's pray. O oh, Father, Lord God Almighty, we thank you for your word this morning, Lord God, the truth of your word. Father, as we read, therefore submit to God in, in view of the, the grace that you give, Lord God, that we walk in humility because of the grace. You give grace to the humble, Lord God. I pray that we walk in humility, Lord God. I pray that when we say with our lives that they're submitted to God, Lord God, that we don't just say the words, but we live it out and walk it out every day, Lord God, that it is a, a lifestyle, Lord God, that we are submitted to your will. Lord God, forgive us for when we, we don't do that, Father. We all make mistakes. We all struggle in different times, Lord God. I include myself in that, Lord God, as we, we have to look to you every day, Lord God, for our strength, for our life, for wisdom, direction, guidance, hope, peace, joy. Everything is in you, Lord Jesus. And I pray, Lord God, that we will look to you always, Lord God looking to you, submitting our lives to you, Lord God, humbling ourselves, because it says you are the one who lifts us up, not ourselves. You lift us up, Lord God. It is only you and you alone. Lord God, I pray for the people today, Lord God, who are here, Lord God, who are struggling, struggling through life circumstances, Lord God. I have no idea what it is, but you know. Lord God, I pray as they cry out to you, Lord God, for help. You hear their cry. You hear their cry, Lord God, and I know you will answer, Lord God, because you love them. You love them, Lord God. I pray that people here today will know the love of Jesus Christ, will know how much he loves them, far beyond anything, any human love possible, the love of God, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Praise God for the blood of Jesus that was shed for us, that we are set free, that we have free from the bondage and the slavery of sin and death because of what Jesus Christ has done. Father, I pray for those today who do not know you, Lord God. I pray, Lord God, that their ears and their eyes will be open to see who you are, Lord God, and to hear who you are and that you love them and you're calling them. You're calling, Lord God, with that call of saying, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Lord God, we just give you glory and praise for who you are, that you are worthy of our praise. I pray that, Lord God, that our hearts are here to worship you and to build one another up in your love. Lord God, we praise you and we thank you. And Lord God, as we go into the word today, Lord God, uh, that your Holy Spirit will speak through your word into people's hearts today, Lord God, that it will be opened and their eyes will see what you are saying. God, we give you all glory for it and we give you all praise. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. All right, we're going to continue our journey. It was fun last week going through James chapter 4, first six verses. And as we, as we looked at it, I'm hoping what you, what you heard was, where do wars and fights come from among you? They come from your pride. All of us have a struggle with pride. And, and part of the problem is our unwillingness to recognize pride as a problem. Where as soon as you say pride is not a problem, that's pride talking, by the way. And as we work our way through it, there's this section we're going to look at this morning in verses 7 through 12 is a response, okay? Here's what God said. Now, you got to put yourselves, you got to, you got to put your mind on, you got to wrap your brain around this thing because here's what God said. He gives more grace. Grace is what we want, right? Trust me, you don't want justice from God, we want grace. He gives more grace, but then it says God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. How do we respond to that? God resists the proud. Literally being resisting. Resisting means to stand against. Now, you don't want God standing against you. And maybe sometimes some of the struggles that we have in our life, some of the difficulties in comprehending the different issues that we face might come up or might come down to the simple reality that you have pride. And your pride needs to die. God is resisting the proud, but giving grace to the humble. Look at verse 6. He gives more grace, therefore, he says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So we see our response... In this issue, this issue of pride, our response is sixfold. We're going to see six things. So journey with me as we work our way through the scripture to see these six things. The first one is this phrase, submit to God. Submit to God. Remember, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So the call is a call of submission to Him. That word submit means to put oneself under and as we look at the book of James, one of the, one of the topics of James is don't let your relationship with God be all about words. It's not about words. If you say it, you got the easy part over with. Right? Anybody can say, I'm not proud. Does that make you not proud? How about this? I can say I'm humble. Does that make me humble? No, it doesn't. The words are great. That's wonderful, marvelous. But what he's looking for is something real. Something comes from the depth within us. And as we think about submission to God, I really wanted to kind of break this down a little bit. Submission to God. I want you guys to understand that there are three things, I think, that really point to whether or not we are submitted to God. In reality, am I really submitted to God? I think there's three areas that we want to look at. 
The first area in whether or not I'm submitted to God is, do I recognize God's authority? Do you recognize God's authority? That God is sovereign. Maybe you've heard that phrase. We hear that phrase so often we we begin to think about it wrongly. The, bo- the bottom line is, is, is God, is the Lord your King? Is He your sovereign? Does He have authority in your life or not? Because if the Lord doesn't have authority in your life, you're not submitted to God. You're submitted to yourself. Or you're submitted to your system or you're submitted to something else. Do you recognize God's authority? In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11, Scripture says this, In Him, speaking of being in Christ, our relationship as believers, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him, listen to this, who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Do you believe God is in all things? That the things that come into our life, that the things that happen to us, and now they may be examples of chaos, a storm, a <clears throat> tornado, an earthquake. And you remember when Elijah went looking for the Lord, he said, Lord, are you in the tornado? Do you remember? Strong wind, but it says he saw the strong wind, but the Lord wasn't in the wind. He saw the earthquake. Or, and and, and he, Lord, are you in the earthquake? But the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. But was the Lord not there? No. Where was the Lord? He was in the still, small voice. Yeah, it could be, could be acts of nature as they call them, or, or acts of God like the insurance companies like to, to say. But the point is that God is about all things. He's there. He's there. All things. He works all things according to the counsel of His will. In Romans 11.36, listen to what it says. For from Him, through Him, and to Him are all things. Does God have authority in your life? Does the Lord have authority? We need to recognize His place. Oftentimes I have people say, Jackie, what's the point of praying? God's just going to do what He wants and He didn't do what I wanted. Well, let me, let me break it down for you. The problem with your prayer life is your pride. Because it's about God, not you. It's about what God's doing and how God's going to work it out. And now, does God love you? Sure He does. Does God care about you? Yeah, does God want to give you good things and, and bring blessing in your life? Yeah, does that mean we get a pass on difficult things? No. Difficult things come and we struggle our way through. But the point is, if you recognize God's authority, your eyes are on Him, not on yourself. Yeah, we can say, my child is sick. Lord, why is my child sick? What's, what's wrong with you? Why would you do this to my child? Or we could say, Lord, my child is sick. How, how can I glorify you in this? You see the difference? Child's sick both ways. Do you recognize God's authority in our lives? The second part of submission to God. Do you realize that God has a plan for submission? That's not just some random thing. Yeah, submission's a rough thing for us, right? In the United States, we're pretty sure we shouldn't submit to nothing. We, in fact, if the president we don't like gets elected, we don't submit to him, right? If the president, we know, because we were on the other side, folks were on the other side not that long ago. It goes, 
both ways, depending on what side of the aisle you're from. But the point is, we have a difficulty with submission. But do we understand, do we recognize that God has a plan for submitting to authorities in our life? To teach us, just like I've shared before, that it's a parent's job to teach their children to submit to discipline, to submit to the authority of the parent. Why is that important? So that your child learns to submit to God, ultimately, and he learns to submit to the other authorities in his life. The Word of God challenges the father with that role. To teach, to train up. His child. Well, let's think about God's plan of submission. We're just going to look at a few. I, I challenge you guys to spend some time in the Word and chase it down. First place we'll look is Romans 13. Romans 13, verses 1 through 7, we have where God uh, established the government and for what purpose. Now, when I'm going to talk about being submitted to the authorities over us, being submitted to the authorities over us does not mean that that, that we're just blind to to wrongdoing. That's not what I'm talking about. But I am talking about the authority that God has established. We should follow His plan. His purpose. Look what He said. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Same word. Let every person submit. Put themselves under. Put themselves under the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. Where did the authority come from? Did the authority come from just crazy people voting or did the authority does the authority come from god god established leadership in government for a purpose and as long as that government is fulfilling that purpose they are worthy of uh, our submission look what it says <clears throat> those that exist have been instituted by god therefore whoever resists the authorities resists what god has appointed everybody's paying attention right and those who resist will incur judgment. Oh, wait a minute. God resists who? What was it? God resists the proud, right? God resists the proud. What's he saying here? This is a sign of pride, a sign of pride, an unwillingness to submit to governing authorities. An unwillingness to submit to govern, governing authorities. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct. Now, this is in, in government that is running appropriately, I'm not pretending to say all governments do that, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. You have God's plan for government. Government is to protect people from the evildoers. Government is to reward the good and protect people from the evil. That's the point. That's the purpose. That's the purpose. And so we're called then to submit, be in subjection, to put ourselves under that. Look what it says in verse 5. Therefore, one must be in subjection. Same word. Submission. Put themselves under not only to avoid God's wrath. Remember, God resists who? God resists who? The proud. Pride. Pride is an issue. We have too much pride. We can't. I will not have this man to rule over me. Why do we say that? Because I'm too proud. I got this. I'll, I got a better idea. I got a better plan. I got better whatever the thing is. But here's what God's word says. God's word says to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of your conscience. 
Because of this you pay taxes. Oh yeah, that's in the Bible. You didn't know that, huh? For the authorities are ministers. That word minister is the same word as servant. Diakonos, they're a servant of God, attending to this very thing. So pay what you owe them. He didn't say pay more. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Listen, respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. The idea is in a, in a relationship with authority, when we're talking about submission, God has a plan for submission. How do I learn to submit to God? Well, look, how, Jesus would say things like, how is it that you're able to do things? You, you can't hear me when I talk about earthly things. How are you ever going to understand me when I talk about heavenly when, when I'm dealing with all, uh, these other things, if you can't do this part, if you can't love your brother, how are you going to love God? Does the Bible say that? If you can't learn to love your brother, how are you going to love God? If, so the idea here is, how am I going to submit to God if I can't submit to those God has placed in authority? Well, I just don't really like those fellas. Oh, well, this is what I would say. God resists the proud. Daniel placed himself in submission to Nebuchadnezzar. Trust me, you are not under Nebuchadnezzar right now. Last I checked, he didn't throw none of you guys in the fire. Right? Now, did Daniel serve God first? Nebuchadnezzar second? Absolutely. Was there times when he would stand in defiance of Nebuchadnezzar? Absolutely. I'm not talking about blind service. I'm talking about providing the appropriate submission that God calls for the governing authorities. Here's one that nobody likes to read. Exodus twenty two twenty eight. If you look in your Bibles, you might have a black marker that goes through this one. <laughs> Exodus twenty two twenty eight says, You shall not revile God. This is part of the law. You guys know what reviling God is? You ever gave God what for? You shall not revile God, nor curse a ruler of your people. We want to understand what submission to God looks like. This is our goal, right? Because part of having victory in a Christian life is learning to submit to God. We all want to jump submission to God, and we want to run right to, resist the devil, and he will flee. That's not how this works, fellas. Submit to God comes first. Am I submitting to God? Am I submitting to those that God has placed in authority over me? Oh, don't worry if we haven't stepped on any toes yet. There's more coming. Because not only did God establish government uh, authority, but He also established family authority. Flip open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. You're probably familiar with this section of Scripture. But this section of Scripture is, is very important for us to understand something about submission. What does submission look like? What does it mean? I get it. Put myself under. But, but what does that mean? How, how does that look practically? A great way to see it is in the, fi- in the family dynamic. In the family dynamic. Here's what I want you guys to say. A quick Bible lesson in, in Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to fly through this. But here's what I want you to understand. The key to everything following verse 21 is verse 21. What do you mean? Well, look at it. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's Ephesians 5.21. Okay? 5.21. Now listen, listen, listen. That is the only place in the next 
chapter and a half where the word submission occurs. Now in English, you're going to see the word again. You guys with me? But in Greek, it occurs one time. Learning to submit to one another in the family dynamic. Here's how we submit to one another. This is what it looks like. Now I just want to explain to you how it goes in the Greek. Submitting to one another out of the reverence for Christ. Verse 22 describes one of the ways. The wives. Verse 25 describes one of the ways. The husbands. Verse uh, Chapter 6 verse 1 describes another way. The children. Uh, chapter 6 verse 4 describes another way. The fathers. Are you tracking with me? Each one is a description of how submission works within the family dynamic with one another, which shows submission to God. If I'm unwilling to follow God's dynamic for the family, I'm unwilling to to follow this dynamic that God has laid out for us, then I just want you to understand you're not in submission to God. This is what submission to God looks like. If you don't believe me in earthly things, how will you believe me in heavenly If you can't love your brother, how are you going to love God? Come on, we get this stuff. If we can learn to see the dynamic in the family, learning submission to one another, which is ultimately a submission to God. So there's a role for the wives in the family. There's a role for the husbands in the family. How is a husband submitted to his wife when he loves her like Christ loved a church? Are you guys tracking with me? How is it a children shows submission? When he obeys his parents. How is it that a father shows submission to his child? When he doesn't pester him. We see the scriptures laying out for us. This idea. Servants to their masters. Masters to their servants. All the way through from 521 all the way to 69. We see God's outline for what submission to one another looks like. So when we talk about being submitted to God, we understand God has all the authority. Not some, not most. God has all of the authority. And then secondly, we recognize that He has given us guidelines that relate to our horizontal relationships. And if we're going to have a vertical submission to God, then we should have horizontal as well. No? We should recognize that Philippians chapter 2 says one of the keys to submission is to think, always think, always think everybody else is better than you. All the time. Jesus said, you want to be a humble man? Let me tell you how to do it. When you go to a feast, sit in the lowest place. The lowest place you can find. Get in the lowest place you can and let the master of the feast lift you up. That's Jesus talking. That's submission horizontally. We understand that God has a concept for all of this. And the third thing, it's submission to God. That He is authority, that He's got a plan for submission and the horizontal, but I also want you to recognize that there's a response to God's Word. There should be a response to God's Word. Submission there. Look at James 1.25. James 1.25, here's what he said. But to the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, we'll talk about it in a minute, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. The one who looks into, that word looks into means to stoop down, to bow down, to place yourself under. 
Have you placed yourself under the authority of the Word? Um, I want to be submitted to God. I want to live a life in submission to God. Then we have to recognize His authority, recognize He has a plan for horizontal submission, how we learn to submit to one another, and then recognize that He's calling us to submit to His Word. What if I don't like what's there? I guess you have a problem. He's calling us to put ourselves under the Word. That this is a key to being not a hearer only, but a doer also. Look, we want to understand that the Word of God is the final arbiter of truth. Final. I know people can make a great case. People can talk about why it's wrong, why we shouldn't follow the Bible, why we shouldn't listen. And it probably sounds great. And we think about it and we think, man, this sounds really good. And I don't know, maybe these guys are all right. And I go back to the book of Proverbs. In the book of Proverbs it says, there is a way that seems right to a man. But it ends in death. Jesus brought the people before Him. He put on one mountain... The Lord, sorry, brought the people before and put on one mountain the, the priest shouting the blessing. On the other mountain, the priest shouting the cursing. And he said to the people, look, I have set before you blessing and cursing. Life and death. Choose life. That's what God said. There is a way that seems right to a man. But it's not the way of life. Why is it not the way of life? Because it's not God's way. Where's God's way written out for us? In a word. In the word. You have questions about it, wondering where this comes from. I don't have time to, to get too into it. I've done several courses here trying to help people understand. You got a question about the Bible? Come. Talk to me. Sometimes I'm sitting here bored out of my mind. You could relieve my boredom and you could come and say, Jackie, tell me why we can trust the Bible. And then you have to get me to stop at some point, because I'll keep talking. If you just sit there, we could be a long time. So, really want the answer. But we can, we can discuss and see that the Bible can be trusted. We can hold fast to the Word. This shows my submission. What if I say, I'm not going to listen to that part of the Bible. I'm not going to listen to that part of the Bible. Go back to verse 6. What did it say? God resists who? The proud. Don't it sound proud when I say, oh yeah, trust me, you don't got to listen to this part of the Bible. This part's just dumb. You don't got to listen to that part of the Bible, that part's dumb too. You should just listen to me, because after all, I have it all figured out. God resists the proud. Where do we want to fall? He gives grace to the humble. The humble man is submitted to God. Recognizes God's authority, recognizes a horizontal plane of authority, recognizes the authority of Scripture. We tracking so far? That's one. I got five more to go. You guys ready? Yeah, we'll get there. I promise. Okay, second thing. Stand against the attacks of the Bible. We saw it right there in verse 7. Submit to God. What's the next part? Submit to God and resist the devil, right? Resist the devil. That word, resist the devil, it means to stand against Satan. you got to pick a side. What side you on? You don't get to be in the middle. There ain't no fence. I don't, everybody always talks about the fence. There ain't no fence. That's just dumb. I'm standing on the fence. There ain't no fence. And if there is a fence, the devil owns it. So get off it. No fence. 
No offense. We're standing against the devil. Resist the devil and he will flee. How do I resist him? How do I stand against him? Does the Bible tell us anything about that? 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 9. You can read all the surrounding verses. We don't have time this morning. But listen to what it says in verse 9. Resist him, speaking of the devil, firm in your faith. How do I resist him? How do I stand against the devil? We can understand this. What does it mean to be firm in your faith? Literally, in the Greek, it is the faith. Be firm in the faith. What is the faith? The faith always refers to God's revealed purpose and plan. Well, let's, let me simplify it. Where do we know about God's revealed purpose and plan? And where can we see an example of where someone resisted the devil and he fleed? You guys all remember Jesus? You remember the devil coming to tempt him? What did he use? He used the word. He used the word. Stand firm in the faith. Hold fast to the word of God. Jesus said, the devil said, turn this rock into bread. For, for you know, the, the, the scripture lays out, he quotes part of Deuteronomy. Jesus quotes it all. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. How did he respond to the attacks of the devil? With the word. Apparently, Jesus didn't know that the word was not trustworthy. He used it all the time. Oh, and by the way, New Testament wasn't wrote yet, so which part of the word was he using? Old Testament. Don't hide from them books. There's nothing to hide from in there. You get to know, see, and understand, recognize who and what God is by looking there. Jesus quoted from it, from the book of Deuteronomy, every time he did battle with the devil. Every time. He laid it out for him. So if I'm going to stand against him, I'm going to stand on God's word. I'm going to say, the word says. Do you trust the word of God as a resource? Am I submitted to God? How do I know I need to be submitted to God? Those three things that we need to do, but what else? Now, to apply what God's word says, I need to stand against the devil. To stand against the devil means I'm standing on the word of God. Next, I need to seek God's help. Number three, seek God's help. I need to seek his help. Look at verse 8. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. When we study the Word of God, it's important sometimes to look at the verbs and understand if the verb is passive or active. Now, some of you guys are looking at me like, what? That's the dumbest thing I ever heard. Well, let me understand. If a verb in a verse is passive, it means God's doing the work. You're not. If the verb in the, in the, in the verse is active, it means you're doing it. You guys tracking with me? An active verb means I'm doing the action. A passive verb means the action's happening to me. Okay? It's English. You guys all had it once. See, I didn't like that class when I had it, and I do my best to forget all that stuff. But it comes in handy when we study the Word of God. Why? Because it says, draw near to Him. It's an active verb. It means I'm doing something. I'm doing something. I'm drawing near. If there's a a gap between you and the Lord, who moved? I don't think God left. I think God's still where He was. I think it's me. It's me wandering away. It's me going somewhere. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. How is it that I draw near to God? I call upon His name. We go back to the Old Testament, and we see how they drew near to God. Daily, the priest is our example. The priest would go to the temple, and every little stop along the temple was an opportunity for him to draw near to God. 
When he went to the, the, the place of sacrifice, what was that? Drawing near to God. When he went to the tab- table of the showbread, speaking of the presence of God, what was that? Drawing near to God. When he went to the altar of incense to offer his prayers, what was that? Drawing near to God. When he turned and he saw the menorah behind him, providing light there in the holy place, what was that? Drawing near to God. Everything in his service to the Lord was drawing near to God. We call on his name. Sometimes we don't call on his name at all. Sometimes we run so far down the road before we remember that God was around that, uh, that we, now we have to ask God bless where I'm at because I forgot to ask. I'm way down here. Look, we want to understand that God wants to be involved in all your ways. How many? Oh, do you believe that? Do you believe that God wants to be involved in all your ways? I remember doing Little League with my son. I hated Little League. Little League was like an opportunity for me to want to get a pipe and beat somebody else's dad. (laughs) Is it like that in Idaho? Because I ain't done Little League here. Probably not. No, you guys have way better. I hope you do. It was, it was, uh, I didn't like it, man. And I'm sitting in the bleachers and my dad was with me. I'm sitting in the bleachers and I'm just griping to my dad. It's like, oh my gosh, I, I don't even want to come to games. I just don't want to have nothing to do with it. I don't like it at all. And I'm, tell, I'm just complaining to my dad. Well, this is dumb. I should just take the kids out of Little League. This is just lame. It's just opportunity to learn all the wrong things, none of the right things. And my dad said, have you prayed about it? I said, Dad, what did I pray about it for? God's got way more important things to do than Little League. <laughs> do you think that's true? I think God wants to be involved in every part of your... If it matters to you, does it matter to you? I don't care what it is. If it's the stuff at the fair, if it's 4-H, if it's sports, if it's music, if it's uh, um, acting, it does not make any difference what it is. Whatever it is, God wants to be involved in it all. He wants to be a part of it all with you. If you care about it, He cares about it. So His Word declares, cast your cares on Him. Why? Because He cares for you. He wants to be in and a part of every piece. We need to recognize that when we draw near to God, we're letting Him be involved. How do we do that? Well, what great way to do it is in prayer, right? How do I call on the name of the Lord? In prayer. In prayer. Great opportunities coming up to do the study in prayer, to get focused in a prayer group, to recognize and realize this is a part of the Christian's life that is dead. It's a discipline in Christianity that is barely alive, and it needs somebody to put them, them. what do you call them things that shock you? What is that? Wait, I'm looking at you, brother. You, you'd used them before, right? Yeah, but you, were, you waited too long. I heard it first over here. Yeah, the nurse beat you. Corman beat by a nurse. Happens all the time, right? Sorry. Anyways. Needs a defibrillator. We need to bring that back, right? We need to get back to prayer. In Hebrews 10.22, listen to what it says. Let us draw near, speaking of drawing near to God, with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed 
with pure water. Hebrews 10.22 calling us in the same way. Draw near to God. Call upon the name of the Lord. So as we're looking at these six responses to what God's word lays out for us. First, we want to submit to God. Second, we want to stand against the attacks of Satan. Third, we want to seek God's help. Fourth, we want to separate ourselves from sinful acts. Look at that next part of the verse. Cleanse your hands, you sinner. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Cleanse your hands. James 1, 7 and 8 says, Let that person not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. How do I know pride's an issue and I'm, I'm struggling with my pride? How do I know? Well, I won't do these things. I won't submit to God. I won't seek the Lord. I won't call on the Lord's name. And what do I care about the sin in my life? I don't want to separate myself from my sin. I want to stand on the, on the top of it. Cleanse your hands is what I can do. What I do, I cleanse my hands. Purify my heart is what I think. Here's what the Word of God said. The Word of God laid out for us this idea. We do not want a divided heart that is loyal to this world. Remember last time we talked, First James chapter 5 talks about the idea of loving this world. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. You remember? And so I described to you what the world is. What does that mean? It's not talking about the circle flying around in space. What is it that he means by the term the world? What is it he means? He means this, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. If I keep those three things and allow those things to be a part of my life and what I focus and what I have my, my mind and things on, then I'm not loyal to God. I'm loyal to the world. I'm not loyal to God. I'm loyal to the world. I want to be loyal to God. I want to be loyal to what God's doing, what God wants. I want to have a pure heart. What's a pure heart? Undivided. What was David? A man after what? God's own heart. One of the ways the Bible describes him is he had an undivided heart. He wasn't trying to live in two worlds at the same time. Double-minded. Two souls. He wasn't trying to live in two places. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's one world. The other world is submission to God. Where are you at? Which one are you in? You've got to be in one. Can't be in both. Being in both means nothing good's happening. We need to get into one. We need to be focused on what God is calling us to, an undivided heart. So we want to separate from sinful acts. Next, we want to have sorrow over sin and its consequences. Again, just track with me. Our response to God involves these six things. Submit to God. It involves standing against the attacks of Satan. It involves seeking God's help, being separate from sinful acts, and then having sorrow over our sin. You ever done a study on what repentance actually looks like in the Bible? Because a lot of people call for repentance. You ever looked at what it looks like? What does that look like? What's repentance look like? It's a word. We sanctify all our words. We make them all pretty. We lose sight of it. Look at James 4, nine. He says, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Wow, that's, that's a happy verse. What is it that he's calling us to? He's, he's talking about mourning sin. He's using, using funeral terms. Funeral terms. The idea that something has died. Someone has died. 
Do we consider it like someone has died, that someone is gone? Death has occurred. Is that how we see our sin? So think about it. What does it look like? In the Bible, how is it described? You see people mourning. Mourning, literally on their face, weeping and crying out to God. You see people tearing their clothes. You see people throwing ashes on their head. Standing in a pile of garbage. You see people beating on their breasts and crying out, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Is that how we see our sin? Has repentance ever moved us to those kind of emotions? Has repentance ever moved us to mourning and weeping and being on our face before God? Because here's what God's Word says, guys, in Psalm 51, verse 16 and 17, it says this, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or else I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. For the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. The question, does your heart break over sin? Does your heart break? God resists who? The proud. Am I too proud? Am I too proud to be broken over my sin? Am I too proud to mourn? Am I too proud to see the emotion of my sin that that, that someone has died for that? Do I see it this way? This is our response. This is how we say, oh, I want to walk in humility. I want to walk in humility. Well, when I walk in humility, guys, then I'm going to be submitted to God. When I walk in humility, I'm going to stand against the attacks of of the devil. When I walk in humility, I'm going to be willing to seek God's help. When I walk in humility, I'm going to separate myself from sinful acts. When I walk in humility, I will have sorrow over my sin. I will respond in these ways. I will respond in these ways. And the sixth one, the last one, is to sense your dependency on God. Look what it says in verse 10, James 4. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. You need God? I need God. I don't want some pride trying to puff myself up. I want God to do it. I want God to lift me up. I want God to, to do whatever needs to be done in my life. Look at 1 Corinthians 4, 7. Listen to what it says. Who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? You tell me. You got skills, you got abilities, you got talents. Yeah, man, I practiced hard at this. You sure? Who gave you that ability? Who put that in you? Who gave you the willingness to work that hard? Does everybody have it? If everybody have it, everybody be throwing 95 mile an hour fastball. There'd be 7 million teams in the NFL because everybody be playing. There'd, there'd be no end. Why? Because everybody could do it, right? All you have to do is work hard. All you have to do is, is apply yourself. Well, that's pride, folks. That's pride. What does the scripture say? What do you have that you didn't receive? What do you have that God didn't gift you with? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you didn't? Why do you boast in your own ability? Man, I'm, I met guys who can play the guitar like you cannot believe. It's amazing to watch, fun to watch them play. I can't do that. I, I got a gift. 
I can work the gift. I can practice a gift. I can do all that stuff. But God doesn't, didn't give me that. Maybe because I would have wanted it too much. I don't know. But the guys that he did give it to, man, I celebrate the, the gift that God gave them. Humble yourselves, the scripture says. But I don't want you to miss this part, guys. I don't want you to miss this so important. Humble yourselves. What's the next phrase? Before who? Humble yourselves where? Before the Lord, right? Before who? Before the Lord. Stop being humble with each other. What do I mean? Somebody comes up to you and says, man, that was a really good thing you did. And you go, oh, um, don't. The Bible didn't say humble yourself to your brother. If somebody gives you a compliment, say thank you. That's normal, uh, uh, nice stuff, right? Oh, you look nice today. Oh, no, really, I'm very ugly, and thanks, but God has made me this way. That's not what he wants. That's false humility. <clears throat> That's false humility, right? What is it that he wants? Humble yourself before who? Before the Lord. Before who? Before the Lord, right, that's right, that God is sitting in the car next to you. He is sitting in your house, in your closet, at the table, wherever you go, wherever you go. That's when He wants you to be humble, in the real character of your spirit, not in the stuff we do with one another. And the stuff we do with one another, don't get all hung up on that. Just be kind to one another, thankful for one another. That's good enough. We don't have to chalk up... dependency on God that's how I do it that's how it is to be done that's how the scripture lays it out for us this is how we ought to behave this is the things that we ought to do humble yourselves but ooh, there he goes he just thought he did he got a little quieter there for a minute no I got lots more yelling I can do trust me the Marine Corps taught me how to yell. I, that's just normal talking for me. So if you're sitting back going, why does that guy yell at me all the time? I'm just getting excited, that's all. <laughs> I want to have this dependency on God. I want to have this humility. I want to be humble before the Lord. This is how I do that. I want to be humble before Him. What are the promises? Just briefly, think about the promises He gave us here in this chapter. The devil will flee. The Lord will draw near, and the Lord will exalt you. That's a couple of good things, right? The devil will flee, the Lord will draw near, and the Lord will exalt you. These are promises that if I, this happens. If I submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee. That's a promise. Draw near to God, what? He will draw near to you. That's a promise. Humble yourself before the Lord, he will lift you up. What's that? That's a promise. Those are all promises that we want to recognize. Now as we close out, I just want to touch on the idea of our response then to each other. Look at verse 11 and 12. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against his brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. 
But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. So who are you to judge your neighbor? Now this is flowing with the same idea. What is it? What is our struggle? Pride. What's one of the ways pride comes out? In the way we treat each other. When we judge each other. Now people trip on this all the time. So I'm going to try in 30 seconds or less to wrap it all up. Um, so let's, let's take a look at it. I want you guys to understand what it is he's talking about. He says... Do not speak evil against one another. It's a command. It means stop speaking evil. Don't act like you don't do it. You all do it. What he's saying is stop it. Stop speaking evil against one another. For the one who speaks against his brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law. What law is he talking about? Well, when we look at the book of James, is he talking about Mosaic law? No, I think he's talking about the royal law. I think he's talking about the law that Jesus Christ simplified. I think he's talking about the law of liberty that James described. James 1.25. Remember, he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, law of freedom. James 2.12. So speak and act as those who will be judged under what? The law of liberty, the law of freedom. Well, what is this? In James 2.8, it says this. If you really fulfill the royal law, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. What's the law he's talking about? Love God, love people. That's Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 6. As, as, as early as you can get to the, to the relating of the law. Love God, love people. Not with words, but deeds. That's James. Not just your words, your deeds. So what is he saying here when he's laying this stuff out? Stop saying evil things about one another. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Let me, t- let me get it to you. Oh, I'll try to do it as simple as I can. Man, you've got to be kidding me. I need 30 more minutes. I'm not going to get it. So, so I might hit some of this again. You're right, Lord. Okay. So who's the judge? God's the judge. Who does he judge? Us, right? Okay, I want you to see a court scene. The judge sits up there in the front. And the place where we stand is called the dock. Right? That's called the dock. When you're, when you're giving your witness, giving testimony, you stand in the dock. The judge judging you. That's a proper position. God as judge, we are in the dock. When you start judging your brother, when you start going across the aisle speaking evil about one another, you are, in essence, judging God. I'm going to explain that in just a minute. And you are changing positions. You took the place of the judge and you put God in the dock. And you don't have the authority to do that. That's called pride. And God resists who? God resists the proud. That's not the proper position. Where's the proper position? God's the judge. God's the judge. Let God do his job. That mean I don't confront a brother? It's not what it's talking about. It's not talking about that. This word judge means to make a final conclusion about somebody. To condemn somebody. That's not your job. That's not your job. You could say, hey, you probably don't want to do that no more. That's not judging. I see you doing something crazy. Let's say uh, I'm cruising the wonderful word of Facebook. 
And I notice something particular on your page, and I, and I might reach out and say, man, is that what you want on your page? Don't judge me. No, trust me, I ain't condemned you yet. <laughs> what am I saying? Are you reflecting Christ or not? Are you in this to show Christ? Only some places? He wants to be in all the life, right? Everywhere? Oh no, now, now Jackie's cruising Facebook looking at my page. Not till later. I'm going to go right after church. No, I got like 1,200 friends in Facebook. I have no time to check up on everybody. But it's just something to be considering. That's not judgment. That's not judgment. That's just saying, hey guys, here's a problem. You might want to address it. But what I, what I want you to understand is, here, I want to, in this idea of how we treat each other, are you committed to your submission to God? Yes or no? And the way we treat each other, this is where it comes up. Are you committed to your submission to God? Are you committed to be submitted to God? Because there's three things that we see at the end of this verse that I just want you to hold on to as we go. There is only one lawgiver and judge. Who's that? Who is able to save and destroy. Who's that? So who are you to judge your neighbor? What's the point that he's making? He wants us to understand... His authority. This is like a recap of everything we've looked at. He goes right back to that. Who's the authority? Who's the lawgiver? God. He's the one in charge. Yeah, let's let Him be in charge. Okay? Let's let Him be in charge. One lawgiver. So don't speak evil. Humble yourself. Don't be so proud. He also has the ability to take care of the situation. Why? He's able to save or destroy. Right? God is able to save or destroy. God will settle the issue. Here's our problem. God, I know you're going to settle the issue, but I want to see it. What for? Why do you want to see it? God resists who? The proud. Gives grace to? Humble. Oh, starting to see that ugly pride poking its head up, huh? Oh, I want to see it. I want to do it. I want to, I want to reflect Christ. So if I reflect Christ, listen to what God says about the subject. The last two verses we'll look at. Romans 12. 17 to 21 says, repay no one evil for evil. What did I say? Repay how many? It doesn't appear like you guys are hearing me. I just keep saying it. Repay who? No one evil for evil. No, no people? Oh, come on. What about the really bad ones? Nope. says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. What's honorable in the sight of all? Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. If possible, so far as it depends on you... Be at peace with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself. How often should we avenge ourselves? Never. Wow, that's crazy. You guys are understanding this without me getting into the Greek or anything. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God. Let God do it. Why? Because it says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What's God want us to do? How does God want us to deal with this? He wants us to speak bad about one another? No, why? Because what is that? Being proud, putting yourself in the judge's seat. Instead of being humble and allowing God to do it. 1 Peter 2, 23 and 25. This is what I want to reflect in my life. This is Christ. This is how Jesus was. Is. When he was reviled... He did not revile in return. But they said something about me. i got to say something back. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. 
When he suffered, he did not threaten. Don't you know they make me miserable? When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he can continued doing what? Entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Who's that? So, the son entrusted himself to the father. And he tells me to do the same thing. Entrust yourself to the father. Well, but, but I deserve better. I deserve more. This is not, they shouldn't get away with this. God resists the? Gives grace to the? You guys get it? All the pride that comes squeaking up through all this stuff, man. Look, this is our attitude. Who am I to judge another? I'm, I'm nothing. I'm nobody. I'm a humble servant of the king. And I'm going to take the lowest seat at the table. And I'm going to let God figure the rest out. Because God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Humility means to leave it with God, not to take it for yourself. Humility means to trust God in the midst of it all when it doesn't make sense. Humility means to submit to the authorities around us and to submit to God. Humility seeks God's help. Humility separates itself from sin. Humility mourns over sin. And humility is dependent on God. And if those aren't the things that we are, then we need to learn to repent over our pride. Because God resists the proud. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we just lift this time to you, Lord, and pray, God, that so many things rattling around in my head, Lord, I just pray, God, that you get it. The junk that's from me, just wash that stuff away. God, I pray that your word would find a fertile place within the hearts and minds of those who received it. God, that your word would would bloom and blossom and bring forth fruit. God, that we would be confronted and convicted of our pride, because we all have it and our false humility, and I pray that we would learn true humility. I pray, God, that we would turn from our pride, lay down our pride, crucify our pride, put ourselves at the lowest place of the table, God, and allow you to lift us up. I pray we would stop thinking that we're the judge. I pray that we would stop thinking we're the judge over what's right and wrong. I pray that we would stop thinking that we're the judge over who is mistreated and who's not. I pray that we would stop being the judge over how things should be justified in our life. I pray that we would allow you to be the judge and that we would put ourselves in the dock where we belong. And I pray, God, that you would judge our pride, that you would purge us of our pride. Because for too long, the church is struggling with a lack of power in its life. And maybe a big problem in that area is our pride, because God stands against the proud. God stands against the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And we need his grace. We need the power of His grace in our life. We need the power of His grace moving through us to encourage others. We need the power of His grace. All these articles, all these people talking about why people quit on the church, why people don't like church, why people leave a church. All of these things, Lord, maybe the problems are pride. Maybe the problem is we are too proud. And you're asking us, God, you're calling us, you're commanding us. To lay down your pride and take up the name of the Holy One of God. That He's the one to be exalted. 
That He's the one to be elevated. That He's the one to judge. And that we allow ourselves then to recognize and to understand how valuable You are, Lord. How beautiful You are. How majestic You are. Pray we would be stricken with a, the vision of Your beauty in our lives. That we see, God, Your beauty. Recognize the treasure that is You and understand the value in our relationship with You. God, move by Your Spirit through Your people. Move by Your Spirit to bring us to a place where we can experience, maybe for the first time, true humility with God. And Lord, may You be glorified in all we say and do. In Jesus' name, Amen.